Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. This week we're kind of kicking off a new series grounded in Acts, but a little more practically oriented. So I'm going to do my best to help connect all the dots as we launch into this new thing. And to do that, I'm going to start us real quick in Acts 18. Now, if you've been reading along with us, um, you'll know this is kind of where we're at in our walk through the book of Acts, which we're going to keep doing. Um, And in Acts chapter 18, we have this kind of subtle shift that happens. We've been following along a lot with the journey of Paul and the early church and seeing it expand. And you'll remember early on, if you've been with us on this journey, uh, we talked about how in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we're at the point in the story where the gospel, the message of Jesus, is spreading to the ends of the earth. And now there's another shift that happens where Paul who has been talking to both Jews and Gentiles, is now like, I am, I'm done with these Jewish people abusing me. I'm going to talk to Gentiles now. And we see this in Acts 18. So he's in Corinth. He's preaching in a synagogue again. It says, as usual, a group of his fellow Jews became abusive towards him because they didn't like what he was saying. And then he's like, okay, fine, we're done with this. I'm going to talk to Gentiles from now on. It says, Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. And Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his, his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Now we're coming fresh off of baptism week, and we see baptism over and over and over again in the book of Acts. So I figured we could kind of kick this new Walk It Out series off by talking a little bit about what it means to walk out that baptism. So today we're going to be looking at a letter that Paul wrote to believers in Colossae. It's the book of Colossians. So if you want to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be spending most of our time at today. Colossians chapter 3. So I'm going to start by just reading in bits and pieces as we walk through. And we're really just going to walk through kind of verse by verse what's going on here in Colossians. Starting in chapter 3, verse 1, here's what Paul writes. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So baptism, it has all of this kind of deep symbolic meaning tied up with it too. And and one of the, I think, most beautiful pieces of it is that it represents this identification with Jesus's death and resurrection. Because as we hit the water to go under, it's like we, our old selves, are being buried the way that Jesus was buried. And there's this death that happens. It's a representation of us dying to our old selves. And as we come up out of the water, it represents the resurrection life we now have in Jesus because we have gone under, we've been washed, we've been buried, and now we're raised to something new, something different. And that's kind of what Paul's getting at here. He says, you have been raised with Christ. He's talking to baptized believers who have gone through this. 
You have been raised with Christ, so here's how to walk this out. A couple of the first things he says. Number one is set your hearts on things above, and then set your minds on things above. Because he reminds us, you've died. Like, this isn't just you have something new, you're resurrected, but something old went away as well. For you died, and your life is now hidden or safe and secure with Christ in God. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to set our hearts and set our minds on things above. The word behind set your hearts, it's this Greek word zeteo. It means seek, like pursue, go after. It's, it's about reorienting our affections, our desires. So because of this resurrection life that we have, we have a new way of being in the world, a new orientation where we're focused on different things than we were before. Because what we orient our hearts towards is what we pursue. And where our hearts are, like that's where we end up heading. So if you have oriented in the past towards financial security, you're going to pursue financial security. Like that's whatever we orient our hearts towards is what shapes us most. So Paul's inviting us here to set our hearts, to orient our desires towards things above where Christ is. And to go with that, to set our minds on those same things. Now, mind here, he's talking about our thoughts, our wills. So it's not just our affections, our desires. It's also an active thought process thing that's going on here too. It involves really the entirety of our being. It's not just about thinking Christian thoughts or listening to Christian music. It's about allowing our hearts and our minds to be shaped in a different direction than they were before. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. And interestingly, too, the the verbs behind this are in present tense, which in Greek, the language this is originally written in, that usually implies constant engagement. It's not a one-time action. It's something that goes on and on. It's something we presently live in and are called to remember and walk out. It's kind of like steering a car, right? If you're driving, you don't just make one correction and then let the car go. You have to constantly have your hands on the wheel and adjust where you're headed. That's kind of what we're invited to here. And then he goes on further. He reminds us that we've died, that our life is now hidden with Christ in God, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But that word hidden, it carries with it this sense of safety, security. He's not saying, like, hide this away, like, don't let other people see it. He's saying, hey, if your life is hidden with Christ in God, that means you don't have to worry about it. It is safe. It is secure. You can focus on the things above. You don't have to worry about your daily needs being met all the time anymore. And then he says something really interesting. Not just that our lives are hidden with Christ in God, but that Christ himself is our life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But he goes on. Let's pick it up again in verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now... 
You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So he grounds this all in our identity as those who have died and been raised. And the language that he uses over and over again, especially in those first four verses, is this language of participation. He keeps saying, raised with Christ, hidden with Christ, appearing with Christ. There's this sense that our new life in Jesus has a lot to do with our participating in what he went through, in his death and resurrection, in his experience of that resurrection life the way it plays out in ours. So he says, this is reality that we're starting with. You are resurrected people living a resurrected life, but that also means you are people who have died. So therefore, work that out, walk that out in continuing to put to death these things that were part of your old life. He acknowledges it. He's like, hey, this is the way most of us used to live. Like, these are things that have affected us in different ways. It's not a comprehensive list that he goes through here, but it's broad enough that I think most of us in this room would recognize ourselves in it. So put to death, therefore, those things. And it's because of our resurrection life that we're even able to do that. It's this call to respond and cooperate with the transformative power that is already at work within us. And all of these like ethical outworkings that follow depend first on our status as resurrection people participating with Jesus. Really what Paul is telling us here is become what you already are. There's this tension in a lot of his writings, I've heard it described as this already but not yet. Because already we have been baptized like we are resurrection people, but there's still this other stuff at work in us that isn't perfect, that isn't complete, that isn't finished, that is this old part of our sinful lives. So how do we walk this out? It's becoming more and more what we already are as we live in the tension between what's already and what's not yet. Because it's not going to be on this side of eternity that we experience what it's like to not wound other people with our sinfulness or not be wounded by others. And someday we will. Someday there will be no more tears or crying or sickness or death. But right now that's not the reality we live in. So the call to us is to step in to what's ahead and bring it more into what's current, the already and the not yet. But we must honestly deal with those things in our lives that cause these wounds, that cause pain for us and for others. And in all this, he uses this clothing, clothing metaphor, which I really love. It makes it super practical. He says... Rid yourselves of all such things as these. You've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Now, part of what the old traditions of baptism were for a lot of believers were this transition of clothing even. Like they would leave their old clothes behind to go and be baptized and then would be clothed in something new. 
as a reminder to them that they've put on a new life and put off an old. The new self isn't just this individual identity, though. Paul's not talking about, hey, each one of us individually have this new life. He's also talking about us as a community, and here's kind of where it ties into life together. It's a corporate identity, not an individual one. I don't know about you, but when I read like this, in English, usually we don't translate the word you as plural, but most of the time in the New Testament, it is. Like the Greek word behind you is really more like y'all. He's not talking to you individually. He's talking to we, to us as a community. And so everything that he's saying here applies to the community as well as to the individual. So let's dig a little more into it. Verse 12. He's going to give us another identity statement to base action on. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So that identity statement, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He's reminding us again of who we are before he tells us how we're supposed to act because of that. We are chosen people, holy people set apart for God, and above all else, dearly loved. Like that chosenness, we're chosen because we're loved, and we're holy because we're chosen. But the love is the root of it all. Because we are loved, we then have the power to love one another. It is our own belovedness that helps us to grow in love, and as we live into that fact of our belovedness, we ourselves become more loving. But he says, therefore, as chosen, holy, and loved, clothe yourselves. He's saying, this is your new wardrobe. These are the things to live into now. Where once there was all this brokenness and pain, now he says, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, this list is not exhaustive. But it's interesting that most of these words, I think he chose because they would have been true of Jesus, the one we're supposed to be following. Like these are the things that Jesus was most known for. His compassion, his kindness, his humility, his gentleness, his patience. Because when he was faced with people dealing with sickness or disability or ostracization, these are what he met them with. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. The word compassion here, it's, it's kind of a tough one to translate. And some tr- versions actually call it more like tender-hearted mercy. So it has this root where compassion, you've probably heard Steve or other people talk about this before. It comes from this word splankna. It's really fun to say splankna because you kind of get to use some phlegm in there. Um, but it's like our, our guts, our bowels. It's something that comes from deep within us and works out. It, it calls us to action. It's not just a feeling of sympathy or pity. It's, it's something meant to drive us to do something. So it's not just us sitting back and being like, oh, wow, 
that, that must really be hard. It's moving towards people who are in pain. It's offering whatever we have to meet them in that. This tender-hearted mercy. He goes on. Bear with each other. Because when you're in community, you're going to end up dealing with people you don't always get along with that naturally. So we have to learn how to bear with one another. And forgive one another. Because there will be times where we have legitimate grievances. We're going to need this forgiveness, this bearing with. And forgive as the Lord forgave us. Again, he's grounding our call to action in what has first been done for us. Because we are forgiven people, we can forgive. Because we are loved people, we can love. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Now, um, I am no Taylor Swift, but I am about to do a wardrobe change to help illustrate the point. <clears throat> so this is nothing fancy, but it's a simple visual thing just to help us remember. Because, again, Paul's using this clothing metaphor, and he uses that to make it memorable. It's something we do every day. We take clothes off, we put clothes on. And I think it's a helpful way for us to remember this call to walk it out. Because part of walking it out is this new wardrobe that we've been given. So, easy way to remember, when you change clothes, just think about this passage. What you've put off in the old self, what you've put on in the new. So here's the visual that'll help us remember. <laughs> I knew someone was going to do that. Now, initially, I had asked if anyone had a white jacket I could borrow, and Jackie graciously offered um, a woman's small. But I figured that might be more distracting than it was worth. So here we are with a sweater instead. But when we put on the new wardrobe that we've been given in Jesus, we look different. Something visibly changes about us. People will see us differently because they'll see something different that's represented in the way that we live. When we put on the compassion, the kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and over all of that, love, others will start to notice it. And it's interesting, like if love is over all of the other things, if love is the top layer of clothing, then everything else gets expressed through that. And if it doesn't get expressed through love, it's probably not really what it's supposed to be. Because you can feel like you have compassion and kindness, but if you don't love the person that you're trying to direct those towards, what good are those things going to do in the long run? Just as love binds the virtues together in unity, so also it binds together the community that these virtues are meant to foster. Like he's not just saying these things, again, to us personally. He's telling us this because these things he's talking about are what builds a unified community that represents Jesus well. If we don't have love between us, there can't be any real unity between us either. There can be no real unity among us unless there is love between us. And that's what we're called to as we walk it out. We're called to put on love because we are loved. 
We're called to reorient our hearts and our minds because we are resurrection people who have died to an old way. And he goes on in verse 15. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to the name, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now this is part of why our worship is so important. It's not just about us receiving the beautiful singing of Andy and Debbie and Maggie and Ashley too, wherever Ashley's at, um, and everyone else who serves in that way. It's about us being shaped by the things that we sing and reminding each other through our song of what's really true. When we sing, you are more than able, that's not just for us. That's for all of us. As we sing that together, we're reminded that together we experience the reality of God's ability. That he is with us in community that we are loved not just individually, but together as well. Part of how this plays out, just as a real practical example, um, the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the gentleness, the patience, this week, I was dropping Levi off at daycare, and his usual teacher wasn't there, who normally greets him really warmly, um, and there was a sub there who I've seen a few times. Um, they're, like, they know each other, but they're kind of, like, feeling each other out still. So I bring him into daycare. I set him down in the room. Normally, he just runs right in, is ready for the day, but today, he just kind of stood there, like, feeling the room out, not really sure what was going to happen, and the the sub is here saying, Levi, do you want to come play? Like, come on. And he's like, nah, I don't know. There was this shift in him, though, when she got down on his level and said, Levi, do you want a hug? And immediately, like, a light bulb went on for him, and he just ran to her. It's like, yes, I want a hug. In that moment, she showed him kindness. She took a second to get down on his level to meet him where he was at, and to welcome him warmly into the room. And that changed the way that his day went. It can be as simple as that. Like a welcome, taking the time to actually see one another when we come in. Not the, the quick greeting and passing that most of us are probably used to. When we really see each other, maybe we'll notice like, hey, this, this person says they're okay, but... Their body language seems a little different, like maybe they're carrying something. Maybe I could ask them, like, hey, are you really okay? You'll be surprised what could happen in those moments. When we meet each other in such small ways, it can have massive impacts. And the buildup of those things over time is what shapes us into a healthy community. Where we see each other, where we know each other, and where we learn to love one another the way that we ourselves are loved. Because as we put on the new wardrobe, it begins to change us. It doesn't just change the way we look. It, it works on us from the inside out because as God's power works within us, it flows out of us through these things. 
So it's something we're called to participate in, but it's also something where as we participate, it's really his power doing the work. Because none of us can do this on our own. Like, I can't change fundamentally who I am without some kind of outside help. That's just not the way that it works. But as we depend on him, as we lean into community, as we constantly are reminded to put on this new way and put off the old, it's an ongoing thing that we need to be reminded of over and over. Things begin to change. And I've loved seeing this happen in our community over just the two-ish short years we've been doing this together. The bonds between us have been strengthened in some really beautiful and significant ways. Like more and more of us step up to use the things that God has given us in service of others. More and more of us meet one another where we're at, meet outside of these Sunday gatherings, are involved in each other's lives, share meals around each other's tables. And in a world where loneliness is the norm, community like that is more needed than ever. So as we kind of wrap this initial week of the new series up together, I want to invite us to stand for a moment. And I'm going to read part of this passage again, but read it a little bit differently with that idea of the we, the us, behind it. So therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, may we clothe ourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. May we bear with one another and forgive one another if any of us has a grievance against someone. May we forgive as the Lord forgave us. And over all these virtues, may we be reminded to put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So if you would extend your hands for a blessing in this last piece. May the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, we were called to peace. And let us be thankful. May the message of Christ dwell in us richly, as we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. And whatever we do, whether in word or deed, may we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift that community is. God, for the reminder that We are resurrection people, that we are beloved people. God, may we take that reality with us as we seek to walk out what we've been learning. May we be reminded every time we make a change of clothes that we've made a bigger change as well. That we've put off the old and put on the new and continue to need to put off the old and put on the new. And may that new wardrobe deeply mark us as a community. So much so that even people outside of our community might start to notice it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.